0: I've listened to Highway 61 Revisited by Bob Dylan for years.
1: And I listened to it once
0: yesterday. Welcome to Spin It. everybody, welcome back to Spin It, the record-ranking podcast for people who would rather be listening to music. I'm James, that's Connor. The Extreme One. I'm a man of extremes. And this week, we're talking about another very exciting album of my choice and Connor's probable pleasure, but potential displeasure. And that album is Highway 61 Revisited by Bob Dylan. This is our first time doing it, actually. We have not revisited it. You're right. We have. I wonder if anyone's actually heard Highway 61 just visited, you know? Yeah. Yeah, we're revisiting an album for the first time.
1: (laughs) You too. Finally revisiting one.
0: Yeah. (laughs) You have said you're a fan of Bob Dylan. I don't know how big your Bob Dylan fandom is. Have I? I thought you mentioned it, yeah. Didn't you? I don't know. I contradict myself all the time. We'll say I haven't. Okay. Okay, fair enough. (laughs) Uh, No,
1: no. I'm actually, I am familiar with Bob Dylan, and I'm a fan of the stuff that I've heard. This album did not have
0: a lot of the stuff I'd heard. I'd only heard a couple of them. Ooh. okay. So the rest of it is all new to me. I love an album like that. What Bob Dylan songs did you know? Not from this record. I'm curious. Like, what are your what are your favorite Bob Dylan songs? If you can't pick, you can also choose some by Robert Zimmerman.
1: I like, you know, I like his "Knocking on Heaven's Door." Mm-hmm. Hurricane is a good one. I like "Blown in the Wind." That's another good one. Oh yeah,
0: that's a classic. Uh, There's three for you. How many more you want? I don't know. I was just just trying to see. I was just taking a poll. Oh, okay. Sample size of one. Not a very good poll. That's all I needed. Fair enough. I'm excited to talk about Bob Dylan. He is a better songwriter than he is a performer, necessarily. But, boy, he's got a catalog that's just packed with good stuff. Have you seen him live? No, I almost did. But it would have required a pretty decent pilgrimage of like three hours one way to get anywhere that he was performing. And I would have had to do it like as a day trip. So three hours there, watch the show, three hours back at like midnight. Mm. Yeah, I really wanted to, but I'm I'm keeping my eyes out for when he tours again or comes near me again. Have you seen him live? Yeah, he's here right now. Come on in, Bobby. (laughs) Well, that'd be something. That would be something. No, I have not. I'm not a concert guy. You know that. No, that's true. I knew I did know that. Well, let me tell you a little bit about Bob Dylan, his past and his career and his touring habits and all that stuff. Buckle up. I've got a lot Of story to tell. Hit me with it. Okay. Well, Bob Dylan, first of all, not his real name. I already alluded to it, but I know. His birth name is Robert Allen Zimmerman. He was born on May 24th, 1941 in Minnesota. When he was just a kid, he would grow up on Louisiana blues music and rock and roll, which, I mean, if you think about, born in 1941... Rock and roll music was just in its fledgling days when he was a teenager like it's just taken off, you know. When he was in high school, he performed in a bunch of cover bands and he did start to use some stage names back in those days and then he headed off to college. In 1959, He started school at the University of Minnesota, and that's when he started to get kind of jaded with rock and roll. He started to pursue folk music instead of all of his rock and roll covers. In 1985, skip far ahead into the future, he was reminiscing about his past, and he said, The thing about rock and roll is that for me, anyway, it wasn't enough. There were great catchphrases and driving pulse rhythms, but the songs weren't serious or didn't reflect life in a realistic way. I knew that when I got into folk music... It was a more serious type of a thing. He says the songs are filled with more despair, more sadness, more triumph, more faith in the supernatural, much deeper feelings. So that's kind of why he started to take the direction that he did with his music. He wanted to get away from the cookie cutter, twist and shout type songs, right? And and dig more into... Twist and shout's a good song. It's a great song, yeah. Yeah. But that wasn't Bob Dylan's path, you know? Could have been. Could have been. I Can you imagine Bob Dylan doing twist and shout? Can now. <laughs> yeah. So he busts into folk. He starts playing around Minneapolis's club scene in a neighborhood called Dinky Town. And <laughs> yeah, I know. And when he's playing around Dinky Town, that's when he picks up the moniker Bob Dylan. Bob Dinky. Bob Dinky. No, Bob Dylan. <laughs> Dinky Dylan. Yeah he didn't legally change his name until 1962. By 1960 he had dropped out of college and then he went on a bit of a pilgrimage to New York City to meet his musical idol, the ailing Woody Guthrie. Do you know much about Woody Guthrie? Are you familiar? uh Uh, he's the one that sings the song This Land is Your
1: Land, right? <laughs> yes, it. you did. You nailed it. You looked that up really well.
0: Yeah, he's the one that, that wrote and performed first This Land is Your Land and a bunch of other, like, old-timey folk songs like that.
1: Is he the most famous for
0: that, like, everybody knows, or is he just the one that did it first? Oh, he's absolutely just the one that did it first. Oh, okay. But Bob Dylan kind of believed that Woody Guthrie was, quote, the true voice of the American spirit, and Bob's aspiration was to go down as Woody Guthrie's greatest disciple. Did it work? It did work, yeah. He pretty much is the biggest and most prominent piece of Woody Guthrie's musical legacy, as far as, like, inspirations. So, he starts rubbing elbows with all these folk pioneers like Ramblin' Jack Elliott, Fred Neal, the Clancy Brothers, all kinds of people that would need harmonicas on their songs. So Bob Dylan, you know him, of course he's happy to oblige. She busts out the harmonica and his professional recording debut happened in 1962. The rest is pretty much history. His self-titled first album... Bob Dylan came out in March, and while it wasn't exactly a record breaker, it did manage just about to break even, selling 5,000 copies in its first year, which is pretty respectable, you know, to not lose money on your debut album. He started touring through the US and the UK, and he debuted in this time, what would go on to be one of his biggest all-time hits, like you mentioned, Blowing in the Wind. That track would end up kicking off his second album, and my personal favorite Dylan album, the freewheeling Bob Dylan. And at this point in his career, he's got this really signature acoustic sound, right? It's, it's kind of just him and a guitar and a harmonica. He's borrowing melodies from all these traditional folk songs, from slave spirituals, from folk ballads, He's pairing them with all these lyrics that are super raw and critical of society, right? Warmongers and the establishment, very much in Woody Guthrie's footstep, both in tone and in sound, you know? He's talking about that stuff and singing about it in a way that Woody Guthrie would. People started to call Bob Dylan the voice of his generation, and kind of rightfully so. I mean, put it in context of what's going on in America and in the world in 1962, like the Cold War, the struggle for civil rights, the Cuban Missile Crisis tensions mounting over in Vietnam. Like, there's a lot for Bob Dylan to be vocal about. He even performed at the March on Washington in 1963, which is the same march that produced Martin Luther King Jr.'s I Have a Dream speech. Basically, Bob Dylan was a pretty huge inspiration not only to a generation of activists, but also to a lot of other musicians. The Beatles notably were huge dylan fans they learned about drugs they did yes supposedly suppose the legend has it that bob dylan is the one that introduced the beatles to marijuana and supposedly yeah allegedly allegedly
1: hypothetically speaking
0: but also yes he did <laughs> uh- <laughs> They, actually, the Beatles were so inspired by him, they even referenced some of Dylan's work in their own songs, too. But anyway, his social and political prominence, they're on the rise through his next five albums. He's a juggernaut in the American folk music and songwriting scene. And then something happens. In 1965, Bob Dylan is headlining the Newport Folk Festival in Rhode Island. It's a big deal. I mean, it's gone down in history after this, but... It was a big deal even then. So what does Bob Dylan do as the headliner of the Folk Festival? He picks up an electric guitar. People lose it. It's like this massive affront to the fans and to the folk music community. People literally boo the band for the entire performance, which they ended after just three songs. It was kind of wild. Quitters. You say quitters? Yeah, quitters. I mean, you'd quit too if you were getting booed the whole time. Nah, I'd keep going. See how long they could keep the boos up. Just challenge them. But it was a big deal. Uh, Fellow folk musician... Ilwin McCall called it 10th rate drivel, but Bob Dylan decides indeed to persist. I know you just called them quitters, but he doesn't quit. He decides not to let this pushback over his quote going electric. Stop him. You're welcome, Bob Dylan, for taking my advice. You, you're welcome for the advice <laughs> that I gave you 50, 60 years later that you just took. Uh-huh. You said he took it. So Dylan goes electric. He doubles down on that and he puts out Highway 61 Revisited. It's probably not too far of a reach to call it one of the most important records of the mid-60s, I think. It's got to be at least in that conversation. And through the rest of the 60s, he'd put out a lot more legendary tier material, including the double album Blonde on Blonde, which would be my third favorite Dylan record. And he even did a country-esque record called Nashville Skyline that featured a duet with Johnny Cash. He also picked up a little backing band that would later release music as The Band. Future episode on the horizon someday. I like The Band a lot. But over time, uh, Bob Dylan's live appearances started to decrease. The music that he was putting out started to receive mixed reviews. But at that point, I mean, his legacy was cemented. He's kind of gone down as one of the greatest songwriters and one of the most important musicians of the last century. To date, in 2022, he's released 39 studio albums, 15 live albums, 18 EPs, 16 bootleg projects, and more than 50 compilations and box sets. That's a a heck of a discography. Dylan has been nominated for an absurd 40 Grammys, and he's won 11 of them. Surprisingly, the 11 Grammys that he's won largely came after his heyday, past his prime, I think. He picked up nine of them since 1990, which is not a time period I associate with Dylan at all. Like, in the slightest (laughs) Dylan also has eight songs in the Grammy Hall of Fame, which I think this is the first artist we've talked about that's had Grammy Hall of Fame songs. Like a Rolling Stone and Highway 61 Revisited from this album both made the cut. In 1988, he was inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, and they picked five different songs to include in their evaluation of 500 songs that shaped rock and roll. Bob Dylan won an Academy Award for Best Original Song and a Golden Globe Award in 2001 for a song from Wonder Boys, and he was awarded the Presidential Medal of Freedom in 2012. I don't think he's the first artist we've talked about to do this, but he's earned the Nobel Prize in Literature in 2016 for having created new poetic expressions within the great American song tradition, and he was actually the first person to earn the prize for American literature since 1993. He's also—this is a long list, I'm (laughs) sorry— he's also in the Songwriters Hall of Fame, he's earned the Kennedy Center Honors, he's got several honorary doctorates, a National Medal of Arts— And the list goes on and on and on and on. If you go see Bob Dylan performing live today, don't really expect much fan service or like a greatest hits parade. He pretty much does whatever he wants, plays whatever songs he's kind of feeling on that tour or on that night, which I think is kind of cool. You know, he doesn't really keep a set list around for very long. Dylan was also a big pioneer of a recent trend of songwriters selling the rights to their catalogs. This is a nerdy little bit of trivia that I am fascinated by. In December of 2020, Bob Dylan struck a deal with Universal, and they spent nearly $400 million to control all of Bob Dylan's songs in full. Heck yeah. I know. Other artists saw that and they went, $400 million? Did you say? Like, $400 million? Like, I'm going to get in on that action, you know? So everyone followed suit, including... Fleetwood Mac, Stevie Nicks, Mick Fleetwood, and Lindsey Buckingham, Shakira, Neil Young, Leon Russell, who wrote with Elton John, Uh, The Beach Boys, Barry Manilow, The Pretenders, Jack Antonoff, Blondie, and more. Many, many more people started selling their catalogs.
1: Several that we've done. And a couple we're getting ready to do. Several
0: we've done or are doing. And yeah, and Bob Dylan kind of kicked that all off, or at least was a big influencer for that. That's about Bob Dylan. Uh, let's focus in on Highway 61 a little closer. The album after he went electric. It came out on August 30th, 1965. It's still very much a folk album, despite what people who listened to it in 1965, might say. It's that gone electric folk. It's got a little bit more of a bite. Yeah. But it's still very much like folksy in a lot of ways. Although it does have a little bit of rock DNA. I don't know. It's Bob Dylan's sixth studio album. And it is really a significant pivot in the direction, not only of his career, but in the whole genre of folk. The album got its name from the highway that Dylan would have taken out of Minnesota, headed towards Louisiana Right? Highway 61 is the highway that runs that stretch, which connects a bunch of major musical heritage cities like St. Louis, Memphis and New Orleans. Dylan said, it was my place in the universe. Always felt like it was in my blood. And actually, he caught some flack for the title. He said nobody really understood it and the record label tried really hard to steer him in a different direction, but he was obstinate. He did not budge. The first part of the album was recorded a little more than a month before Dylan went electric at the Folk Festival, and then they finished the rest of the album shortly afterwards. So this literally straddles that major historical musical moment. It peaked at number 3 on the Billboard 200 number four in the uk rolling stone called highway 61 revisited the fourth best on its list of 500 greatest albums of all time and it was kind of immediately picked up as a classic by plenty of fans and critics alike though again still kind of drew the ire of (laughs) a lot of traditionalists today it's certified platinum in the us and the uk and gold in canada so that's where we're coming in talking about that album and with that i suppose the mixtapers should Go electric and get on out here for Factor Spin. I don't think we want the mixtaper to go electric. No? Stay acoustic then.
1: Feels like a bad idea. It does.
0: But yeah, let's get him on out here. Bring him in. Hey, it's me, the mixtaper. (laughs) Hey, welcome back to the earth after your wild uh, blimp ride in the last episode. How was that? You have fun? The
1: mixtapers' legal team has advised him not to speak of that incident. Uh, Oh,
0: you have a legal team and are also speaking in third person now?
1: Yes. uh, If I speak in third person, then I'm not really saying it. Oh, I see. A third person is saying it. You're doing it to distance yourself from the incident. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. Some third person said it. I don't know who he is. Just
0: around. Right. Well, I'm (laughs) glad that that blimp is returned to whoever owns it and right right if hypothetically
1: speaking if there was a blimp stolen it definitely got returned 100% I
0: just heard you winking through the microphone (laughs) I don't know how that's possible anyway um I hope you're excited to talk about Bob Dylan I hope you got a lot of good spins I am but
1: I'm a little more excited to talk about my new thing gotten into a new thing
0: you've gotten into a new thing yeah what like crocheting do you crochet now
1: no but that's honestly close what (laughs) what Not in terms of, like, the activity, but in terms of, like, the weirdness of the word. Like, crochet is a weird word.
0: What? Okay. What is close in weirdness (laughs) to the word crochet?
1: Charcuterie.
0: Oh, yeah, you're right. That is actually, I'm very surprised at how similar the words are.
1: Yeah, I'm sitting over here with a platter of crackers, cheese, and blueberries. Just munching away. you've made a charcuterie board. Yeah. Awesome. I didn't really make it, I bought it. Oh. I'm not, I'm not skilled enough to make it yet. I'm not into <laughs> making
0: charcuteries. I'm into eating them. Yeah.
1: But to wash that all down, I needed a nice drink.
0: Sure. What
1: kind of drink is better than, with a dairy product like cheese than more dairy? Milk, right?
0: Well, okay.
1: I want you to guess what kind of milk I found in mean, currently drinking.
0: You want me to guess what kind of milk you found?
1: Yeah, specifically like the flavor. It's a flavored milk. That
0: was my first question. It's like is it cow's milk or like almond milk? Some other thing that was milk. Uh, this was a fruit that was milked <laughs> okay fruit milk. <laughs> this isn't this isn't a factor spin thing then no
1: no this is just what i'm actively doing so you can envision when i'm schooling you in factor spin you can know what i'm chowing down on and slurping up
0: i think you're slurping up pomegranate milk no okay i i really don't know where to where to guess you did say fruit tomatoes or fruits are you having tomato milk oh god <laughs> no right <laughs> color though color okay strawberry milk
1: the milk actually looks like normal milk oh it's white milk but yes the fruit is red is it just strawberry milk no it's not strawberry that's not significant enough dragon fruit you're probably not gonna get it i i don't know i'm at a little bit of a loss apple milk Nope. i'm drinking cherry cordial milk right now
0: that sounds awful
1: it tastes delicious
0: great what kind of cheese are you washing down with cherry milk
1: I don't know there's like four or five different ones on this board I don't know I don't know what they
0: are
1: (laughs) great (laughs) I didn't go to cheese school I went to evil school
0: where they taught you about clouds
1: yeah I took the cloud elective not charcuterie (laughs)
0: everyone gets to pick between clouds and charcuterie in evil school
1: i was the only one that took clouds
0: you're in there by yourself oh no
1: yeah even the professor took charcuterie
0: wow just you alone reading a textbook about cumulonimbus clouds yeah anyway
1: enough of that (laughs) just know just know every time you suffer a defeat it's because i'm being powered by charcuterie and cherry cordial milk
0: That's a shirt powered by charcuterie (laughs) and cherry milk. (laughs) Okay, well, with that behind us, and maybe in a blooper reel somewhere, (laughs) let's get to Dylan. What Bob Dylan fact do you have for me today? My first one
1: for you is a return of a fan favorite. Oh, okay it's time
0: to bring back Ryan the Ghost. Please restate the fact for posterity and those who have missed him in other episodes. Well, he changes a little bit every time. Yeah, well, that's why I need you to tell me the specifics too.
1: Yes, and and so in this instance, Bobby D
0: was exploring a haunted mansion in Birmingham, England. Okay, so Bob Dylan's exploring a haunted mansion. He encounters a friendly ghost called Ryan. Yeah. How does he know that he's encountered a ghost? What are the signs? He heard it. What did it say? It barked. It barked? Was it a a dog? This is
1: a ghost dog. Wow. Ryan the ghost
0: dog. So how does one communicate with a ghost dog enough to learn that its name is Ryan?
1: Ryan is what Bob Dylan decided to name the ghost dog.
0: Oh, okay. This wasn't a, a, a name that the dog had. It's the name that Bob Dylan gave it. Yes. So is he into haunted mansions? Why was he touring this place? Yes, he's
1: very he's very into ghosts. He he likes to he likes a good ghost hunt. Mm, I see. When Muff Winwood, the bassist of Spencer Davis Group. The band ended up in Birmingham, England, and Bob Dylan said that he thought there'd be some good ghosts in England, and he and the bandmates went to this mansion, to this abandoned house that was nearby where they were staying, uh, that was once believed to be haunted by a ghost dog. And so they all huddled in the house and poked around, and at one point they heard a dog bark.
0: Okay, how do they know it was a ghost and not just someone's dog barking somewhere? Because Bob Dylan was convinced it was a ghost dog. Had to be. It had to be? Had to be. That doesn't seem to add up. That seems like like you've jumped a couple steps to that conclusion.
1: There was no, there's no convincing Bob Dylan otherwise.
0: Has he seen other ghosts or is this dog like the first or the only or what is his other ghost experiences? I don't know. Just that he's an avid ghost hunter. Mm. Did they interact with it any further or just hear it? Called to it a few more times but never heard another bark. Okay, well, I guess I'm going to say this one's a spin. I don't think it's true.
1: You think this is a spin? Which is a
0: shame, because that means I think you're going to have to bring it back another time. For a, what, another what, a, time, a fourth time? <laughs> uh, fourth, fifth, who knows? Gabrielle Applin was the first one. Episode 42, Gabrielle Applin talked to Ryan the Ghost. Then, episode 47, the Red Hot Chili Peppers recorded an album in a haunted mansion, where Ry Bipson the ghost who couldn't spell on a Ouija board showed up. (laughs) And I believe this is the third time that he has showed up. I'm still, I'm sticking with spin. I just don't think this is true. And I think if it really was a ghost dog that you found a true fact about way back in episode 42, you would have probably called it a ghost dog from the start because that's more outrageous. This is a spin. Dang it. I'm I'm happy I got it right, but I'm just mad that Ryan the Ghost is coming back again.
1: <laughs> yeah, he uh the entire story I told you is true except it being Ryan. Wait, okay, what do you mean? So he actually went ghost hunting, thought he heard a go uh at this place that had a ghost dog, heard a do- dog bark, thought it was the ghost dog. He just it's not Ryan. That doesn't seem. Everything I told you was true except Ryan.
0: What a what a weird stretch! Wow. I know you could have what you could have done right there. I appreciate your honesty for once. You could have just pulled the plug and said, "Yep, that was Ryan," and then never told me the actual true person that experienced Ryan's the Go- Ryan the ghost. If you wanted that point, I
1: have integrity.
0: Well, I may be a dastard, but I play by the rules. You're an integrous dastard. Yeah, you're a dastard with integrity. Integrous dastard. Yeah, starting strong with a with a win for me. That's great. Sorry, Ryan, the ghost dog. You need to chug some more milk. You do that. My next one for you,
1: also a return of a favorite, going all the way back to episode one. Woo he was a boxer.
0: Really? This is the third boxer (laughs) we've had too. So we've kind of run the gamut on boxers. We've done a couple different iterations of the boxing journey. Yeah. Did he want to be a boxer himself or or was he kind of pressured into it by a parent or uh, some other figure in his life? No, he just used it for exercise. Boxing will do that to you. Was he competitive? Did he do competitions? Was he any good?
1: No, he mainly just would spar
0: at the boxing ring. Okay, just get a good workout in. Exercise, yeah. When did he start doing this? Was this a thing he did his whole career? Or did he like hit a certain age and be like, man, I gotta go box. I wanna go punch something. I
1: don't know when he started. But I guess going back to your previous question about if he was good,
0: he was good enough he never got hit. Never got hit? Wow, Billy Joel never lost a fight, but Bob Dylan never got
1: hit? Well, I guess I shouldn't say never, but
0: as far as I can tell, never. What does that mean? I guess if he's just sparring for exercise in a gym, maybe he's not actually fighting anybody and just learning boxing techniques. No,
1: he fought people. In fact, uh, he once fought comedian Daniel Russ. In two thousand eight, in Austin,
0: two thousand eight. Uh huh. Whoa. Okay. So, like, senior citizen Bob Dylan is taking people down. Yeah, not getting hit. Well, would you hit him?
1: <laughs> would you? You exactly. The, literally, you know, here's the quote: Daniel Russ says, "In comes a diminutive, skinny man, looks to be a little older than me, has short, curly hair. He turns to face me. It's Bob Dylan. I told what? the gym owner, if you paid me by the shot, I wouldn't hit this guy ever." And the gym owner says, good, don't. You're not supposed to. What on earth? He, he would spar people. He would get into practice, but he didn't want to be get hit back is from what I can tell. Wow. So he would just practice on people. Imagine
0: just being there boxing. <laughs> and then this little old dude walks up and it's Bob Dylan.
1: <laughs> and he says, stand there, let me punch you.
0: <laughs> yeah, stand there and let me punch you. Honestly, <laughs> I don't want to believe this, but I kind of do. I think this is a fact. Yeah. Going with fact? Yeah, Box Dillon's going to get a truth from me. Well, that means you're at least 50 50 this week. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's a fact. Wow. That's awesome, though. Like, that's, I like that a lot.
1: I said, I'm sure he's probably gotten hit, you know, but it seems like oh, he doesn't but like not to. Really. He, does, he tries like, not to. Yeah. yeah, you know. Yeah. Uh, all right. My third one for you there's a whole type of science
0: named after him. A whole type of science? So, like, yep. Dylanology. Yeah, that's exactly what it is. <laughs> okay, and so what does one who studies Dylanology study? They become a Dylanologist. Yeah, okay, yes, but what what do I learn about or, or research as a Dylanologist?
1: One who studies or admires the music or lyrics of Bob Dylan, one with an interest
0: in Bob Dylan, or someone who deeply cares about Bob Dylan obsessively. Oh, you're just talking about fans, but like fans that are really dedicated. Is that a science? Uh, Yeah. It seems more like an arts degree kind of thing. Like, if I went to school to be a Dylanologist, I wouldn't graduate with a Bachelor's of Science. I'd get a Bachelor's of Arts or Music or you know, somewhere on that end. Not that there's not science in music, but Yeah, I don't know. Ology
1: usually I guess just means the study of so they wouldn't have to be signs. Okay,
0: well, either way. Is there like an official threshold that separates Dylan fans from Dylanologists? Like, how will I know if I've become a Dylanologist? Do I get a medal?
1: It's one of those things, you know, there's no clear threshold, but you can tell when somebody crosses it.
0: You walk away from a conversation with someone and you go, that guy was a Dylanologist. Yeah,
1: exactly. You know, like this one guy who uh, would stalk Bob Dylan's house and go through his trash looking for discarded lyrics.
0: Oh, yeah. That doesn't sound like a Dylanologist. That sounds like a criminal. (laughs) What? That's not as bad as toenail clippings that we've talked about before. Yeah, still pretty wicked. Did someone do that? Yeah. Wow. What
1: happened to them? Bob Dylan asked him not to, and then he'd still do it, and then he'd ask him to stop, and that's
0: all the information I have about that. Oh, that was a really unsatisfying story. (laughs) Yeah, so to that point, too, how does Bob Dylan feel about Dylanology? It'd be weird to have someone analyzing your every thought and word and note that you've sung and, and putting it all, you're digging through your trash even to get more of you. Like, that's weird. Oh, apparently Bob Dylan beat him up as well. Oh, he's a boxer. <laughs> So, (laughs) you're digging through Bob Dylan's trash. Watch out, because he could throw hands. Yeah, I don't know. I don't think he's really that big a fan of it. How many people out there, like, would self-identify
1: as Dylanologists? It's a whole book. The Dylanologist Adventures in the Land of Bob.
0: That is weird.
1: All I'm saying is Wiktionary recognizes it as a term.
0: Well, that's the source, I guess. I (laughs) I
1: guess... The New York Times... Wrote an article
0: about it. I'm going to say that, see, it's iffy for me. The The terms of what could and could not be called type of science is a little unclear. So I'm going to say this one's a fact. Because I think there's enough wiggle room that it, it kind of has to be a fact. And with that, the tie is broken. Really? Is that because you I... You got this one right! I say, the tie that, has you're, to you're be at least, broken.
1: <laughs> I'm just saying, you know, we've been going 50-50 this whole year.
0: Oh. Oh, you just took the lead. You're right. You've gotten three. This is the first time... In the last eight episodes, nine episodes really that Yeah. Wow, okay.
1: The tie is broken.
0: Wow. Let's see if you can pull off a perfect week. But yes, this is a true fact. Dylanologists It's a thing. Hey, if you're listening to this podcast, I think that qualifies you and therefore us as Dylanologists.
1: I think we're all Dylanologists now.
0: (laughs) Incredible. What do we got now? The tie has been broken. The stakes have been lowered for the final ramp. So this better be a good last fact.
1: It's a good final ramp, I think.
0: He and Carrie Fisher partnered on a cologne. You're not about to tell me that Bob Dylan smells like Princess Leia.
1: (laughs) I don't know if he wears his own cologne. (laughs) But I'm telling you, Bob Dylan and Princess Leia have a cologne together. I I guess I don't know if it's actually still
0: being made, but... Sure. How does this connection happen? I'm guessing Carrie Fisher and Bob Dylan probably run in decently different social circles. In her memoir,
1: Wishful Drinking, Fisher wrote that she got a call from Bob Dylan.
0: He he picked her out. He said, wow, I want to make a smell. Who do I want to go in on this with? Princess Leia. Yes. I guess. <laughs> <laughs> Interesting. Everything
1: you said there seems right. So
0: so he's the one that had the idea and the ambition to make a cologne. No. No. Okay, so He was asked to endorse a cologne and then mm. he got her to be a partner's whatever. So him. who made it then? I don't know. Some cologne company, probably. Sure. Yeah, that makes sense. And what does it smell like?
1: Well, how about this? I give you uh, the titles okay. of this cologne. That'll work, too. Carrie Fisher had some great sarcastic ones,
0: so I'll give you those first. Of course she does.
1: She recommended that they call it ambivalence for the scent of confusion.
0: Well, I'm confused. Yeah.
1: Arbitrary for the man who doesn't give a shit how he smells. Nice. And empathy. Feel like them and smell like this.
0: What a, wow. That doesn't mean anything. <laughs> I like that. That's great. Bob Dylan loved those. Uh-huh. But the one they
1: ended up going with, probably per whoever was making its request, yeah. was
0: Just Like a Woman. Oh, okay. So named after a Bob Dylan song. Indeed. And endorsed then also by a woman. Oh. Uh-huh. It's all coming together. What a combination. So they did promotion for this product. Did, did they appear in commercials together or, you know, do anything as a duo in support of it? sure they did i'm i'm not sure that you're <laughs>
1: sure i'm not so sure i mean it's pretty hard to endorse something if you're not
0: doing any sort of advertising for it right well, i don't know no sign your name and say i like this cologne
1: yeah but they always want your photo with it or whatever that they can then use in like the stores or on the
0: website probably wasn't on the website back then but <laughs> yeah when did it come out that's another question too 1994 mm, that's when bob dylan was winning all his grammys <laughs> In the 90s.
1: And it's when you could have smelled like him, or I guess just like a woman.
0: I think I'm going to say this one's a... Whoa, he hesitated, ladies and gentlemen. it will probably get cut out. He hesitated because I think if this one is a spin, maybe it's just not Carrie Fisher. Maybe the cologne exists. Mm. Or maybe it is not Bob Dylan and just a Carrie Fisher cologne. But also maybe not called just like a woman. I don't know. I'm going to say fact, but I've identified some key weak points in the armor if this were to be a spin. That's where I would look. Well, those weak points did not help you because this is a spin. This is a spin. Okay, how much of a spin are we talking? Bob Dylan was
1: asked to endorse a cologne called Just Like a Woman. Right. He called Carrie Fisher. He asked for her advice on alternative names because he did not
0: like that name. Wow.
1: And she gave him all the ones I listed. So. And I do not know if it ever actually got made.
0: So in a sense, the they, they did almost collaborate on that cologne. Almost. She just fed him some ideas. I love that. So why did he call up Carrie Fisher? I guess they must have been pals. <laughs> yeah,
1: I don't know. Read wishful drinking. Maybe maybe she talks about it in there.
0: Yeah. Wow. Okay. Well, look at that. Bob Dylan and Princess Leia. A long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. Smell just like a woman. Nah, 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 nah. Well, that's not a perfect week. You did pull it back at the last second. No, it was not. But you did pull ahead. Finally. Yeah. Nine episodes into the f- the second year and whatever season this is of Factor Spin, we we have broken that tie. Season four, question mark? You, the game writes itself. That's out of my hands. <laughs> oh, that's the squirrels, they, they count the seasons for me. Yeah, they, the squirrels are pretty good at telling the seasons because that's they know when they need to hide the nuts.
1: But with that, uh... I need to go because I accidentally drank this entire one quart of cherry cordial milk. Wait,
0: I actually believe this. I feel like that's not part of the bit. Yes,
1: no, this is not a bit. This is not a bit. I drank one quart of cherry cordial milk during Factor's Fin. How much milk can... It's a problem.
0: Is that going to be like, (laughs) how much milk is one person supposed to drink at once? Plus
1: all the cheese. (laughs) No. So, uh, I gotta
0: scram. Uh, see you next time. Yeah! Oh, goodbye, mixtaper. And, uh, let me just, let me just wait a minute before I see whether we welcome Connor back or not. Uh Okay, so here's the deal. In the United States, the National Dietary Guidelines recommend that adults should drink three cups of milk. You drank a quart, which I feel like I don't need to remind you, is four cups of milk. So I drank one, only, oh, I only drank one more, that's not bad. That's not, not, it is bad, it's just not awful. But of course, that is just for cow's milk. I'm not sure what the cherry milk equivalency is. I'm all milked up. It's extreme, that's some extreme milk. Let's talk about the album art of Highway 61 Revisited. This now iconic cover was photographed by Daniel Kramer before they even started recording the record. It's Bob Dylan sitting outside his manager Albert Grossman's apartment. And that person behind him is his friend and road manager, Bob Newirth. Bob and Bob. Bob and Bob. Bob squared. It's a tale of two Bobs. Tale of two Bobs. Daniel Kramer thought that Newirth's presence in the back gave that picture a little extra pop of color. Regarding Dylan's expression, Daniel Kramer said, It's a hostile moodiness. He's almost challenging me or you or whoever's looking at it. What are you going to do about it, Buster? And knowing now that he's a boxer, yeah, I could see it. I don't know. What do you think? It's a different kind of album cover maybe than our normal one. It's not something you see a lot nowadays. Something like this.
1: Yeah, Yeah, I don't know. I think it's pretty... Nothing too special about it. I think it's pretty bog standard. Pretty Bob standard. Pretty Bob standard. Yeah.
0: Well, we've got nine tracks to talk about. Some of them are are significant. So let's dive right in and kick it off with an absolutely huge song. Like a Rolling Stone is the first track on this album. And boy, was it a biggie. Rolling Stone, the magazine, yes, they were kind of named after this song. They chose this as the number one song of all time, all time in 2004 and again in 2011 and again in 2017 yeah maybe a little bit biased uh but also not necessarily super incorrect dylan himself has called this the best song he ever wrote it it took a minute to achieve that legendary status because radio play was pretty tough initially given its really significant length at six minutes and nine seconds but hey you know what a hit's a hit yeah when the song did finally break into the radio play charts it it peaked at number 2 on the charts losing out only to the beatles help somebody help take down uh-huh. bob dylan just wait, we'll get to that song in a little while. A long little while, but a, but a while. This is one of those songs that almost has
1: two choruses for me. You think? Uh, how so? Yeah. How does it feel? So, you, you know, there's the there's the actual chorus that's super recognizable. The how does it feel? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know? Well, he hits that. But that entire set, the, the rhythm of the t- second half of the verses, when you get the you used to
0: laugh about you know he does that whole like Mm. um that pivot in the end of the verse yeah it just
1: has such a great rhythm to it i really like
0: it absolutely it does it's
1: almost as it's almost as catchy if not catchier than the how does it feel
0: Yeah, it's close. Although, I love the way that the the whole chord progression resolves into how does it feel. The whole song kind of comes together in that moment. And I like that a lot. Yeah.
1: Well, especially because he really builds it up on that about having to be scrounging your next meal. It really
0: swells into the how does it feel. Yeah, it does. They let it hang very nicely. It's great. As for the lyrics, Dylan wrote 20 pages of lyrics that he basically just said were word vomit. And he reduced the whole song down to this. Just knocked it on down to these couple verses. All right. Yeah. He, he said that it was like a ghost was writing a song. And he didn't know what it meant, except the ghost just picked him to write it. A dog ghost? Yeah, maybe a dog ghost. Was the ghost named Ryan? I, it might have been named Ryan. I don't know. I feel like if a dog told him to write the song, the lyrics would just be bark like a howling stone. <laughs> but, you know, despite Dylan saying that and saying that this was word vomit that he really just said and didn't give much agency to his own lyricism people have speculated that this is one of music's earliest diss tracks about eddie sedgwick nobody's actually ever confirmed that so it's likely that we'll never really know but that is the thing that people have speculated hmm. yeah what's your favorite line just like pick a lyric or a couplet what's your favorite it's hard there's just so many good ones i think my
1: favorite set of lines my favorite couplet is in verse three hmm you used to ride on a chrome horse with your diplomat who carried on his shoulders a Siamese cat. I like that one.
0: Yeah, I thought we were headed to the same place for a minute, but... Is it jugglers and clowns? Because that's the other one I almost went. With. I really like the start of verse 3. You never turned around to see the frowns on the jugglers and the clowns when they did their tricks for you. Yeah, it's another really good one. But I figured you might pick that one, so I went with my cat one. Yeah, <laughs> tricks for you and kicks for you is another one of the most memorable, like rhyme parts in the song that he just pairs those so well and sings them together very nicely one other weird trivia fact about like a rolling stone the official music video for the song came out on november 19th 2013 oh <laughs> <laughs> yeah years weird and years later 50 years later wild
1: interesting mm-hmm.
0: definitely the most iconic song on the album here kicking it off big time and the harmonica um it's a little I think if you're not expecting it or used to it, a little heavy-handed, but... Absol- absolutely not. No. Never
1: too much harmonica. Okay,
0: yeah, I agree. But when you get used to it, you know, when, when you're in the zone and more familiar with what Dylan does, I think it's about perfect on this song. Enough out of you. What? You said never too, too much-, much harmonica. No, there's never no. too much, right?
1: <laughs> Actually, you're right. I kind of I dig it. Keep it up. Tell you what. I'll go ahead and start talking about how I feel about Tombstone Blues and you just back me up with some harmonica I can't really play the harmonica I mean do you really have to know how to play the harmonica you just blow into the thing and make noise
0: okay go for it
1: so Tombstone Blues uh, is another song I knew coming into this Um, I really like Tombstone Blues there's something about that uh, kind of fast paced like I said it's like it's still a folk album as much as some people like to say it's not And so this has that, like, it's a very, I don't know what the word is I'm looking for for the style folk song it is, but it's very, it's very familiar,
0: like, cadence to it, and I like it. Okay, I'm gonna, I'm pulling the plug. Now, that was, um, that was great. Beautiful. You're right. It does have a definite different kind of cadence to it, and I can't put my finger on it either.
1: I don't want to call it a... It's not one of those ball and chain songs or train songs well, or whatever it is we talk about. It's not, but it's got that the tempo is the dun, dun 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 that's in the background gives it that like giddy up like like I'm env- I just envision a cowboy galloping on their horse yeah. while this song is playing. You know, it's got that kind of cadence to it. I think
0: it's got the same a similar cadence to a train song. You know, the chug a lugs, yeah, clickety clackety click of the snare drum especially is is really powerful yeah. and it does a lot. It's like
1: a folk march.
0: Yeah, uh, this song is a little bit of a story and an observation on the state of the nation. And specifically, it's kind of about how the average people in America are coping with rising international tension on account of the Vietnam War. So that leads to some really really interesting imagery with the city fathers trying to endorse the reincarnation of Paul Revere's horse, right? Jezebel the nun knitting bald caps for Jack the Ripper who is the head of the Chamber of Commerce. Some like very uh, is a mixed bag of charged images. And I don't, you know, it, it works It's just somehow he throws it all in here in a way that works. And it sounds really good. The chorus is simple, but striking. You know, Mama's got no shoes. She's in the factory working away. Dad's begging for food, scouring the alleys for dinner. And the speaker is just here wondering what his place is in it. You know, worried about making it to the next day. It's wild. I think it's almost, I mean, it's another six minute track and it runs the risk of getting boring, but I think getting bombarded with those images and these, you know, ideas, it keeps us engaged.
1: I say, the instrumentals get a bit repetitive. I think that's on purpose so that, you know, once you get the cadence and you get that feel for the, like the tempo, the cadence, the uh, um, rhythms that uh, are going to be driving you through the song, You're able to then just completely focus on the punch after punch Boxer Dylan throws (laughs) in these verses.
0: Yeah, it's true. And uh, people actually have compared the rapid-fire style of his lyrics here and all of his storytelling methods. They've compared it to modern rap music. Like he's almost a precursor to that in ways that go deeper than just the sound of the music. Obviously, this doesn't sound like a rap song, but the way that he presents his lyrics and his story...
1: No, but there is another one that kind of does.
0: Yeah? Which one is that? There
1: is one that, like, the way he sang it reminded me of, like, a, I was like, what is he trying to do, rap? <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, well, I guess we'll get to it. He also makes reference to Ma Rainey, again, someone we've talked about several times. Ma Rainey yes. and Beethoven unwrapping their bedrolls. Oh, I just, you could go on and on about the lyrics. It's
1: good. Mm-hmm.
0: Up next, it takes a lot to laugh, it Takes a Train to Cry, the real train song on the album, but not really, but but yes, really.
1: <laughs> but also yes, really, literally
0: a train song. Right. This song was recorded on the very same day as Tombstone Blues, and it was kind of recorded as a response to people who were just crapping all over him for going electric. It Takes a Lot to Laugh, Takes a Train to Cry was meant to kind of fire back at those people. I see. This was one I did not know. No, I can't imagine you did.
1: But when I was first listening to it, an image popped in my head in verse 1, and I could not shake it, and it ruined it a bit for me.
0: Oh, no. Yeah, what ruined it? Well, it ruined it in the sense that I just couldn't take it seriously. That accounts as ruining this one.
1: When we got to the part where in verse 1 where it says, on top of the hill, yeah, for some reason, my brain went to the I'm Just a Bill on Capitol Hill <laughs> song. What? <laughs> Something about the way he's saying it and like the like sadness in his voice just reminded me of the way the sadness in the bill on Capitol Hill when he's, I'm just a bill. Yeah, I'm uh, yeah, Ca- familiar. Yeah, I don't know. I just I, I don't know what caused my brain to go there, but it
0: did. And so then the entire rest of the song I just kept thinking of that. <laughs> Bob Dylan sitting on the Capitol steps, all dejected. Wow. Yeah, no, it's not quite like that. It's it's a song about a train ride. But more than that, it's a song lamenting that he might not make it, but simultaneously celebrating that his baby will and soaking in all the sights and the sounds around him as he goes on this journey. Yeah. It's also a bit of a metaphor for intimacy. Boy, is this one a long one for how short the lyrics are. It's just three verses. It feels like a little bit of a drag. It's true. So even though this song was written in 1965, Bob Dylan wouldn't perform It Takes a Lot to Laugh, It Takes a Train to Cry live at all until 1971 was the first time he did it. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Actually, I found some cool stats on Bob Dylan's performance statistics. According to his own website, He's played Like a Rolling Stone over 2,000 times over his career. Highway 61 Revisited has been played 1,700 times. Ballad of a Thin Man has gotten over 1,000 times. And most of the other songs on this album, including this one, fall between 150 to 500 plays. Yeah, which sounds small in comparison to the astronomical number of 2,000. But think about playing a song 150 times. I mean, that's kind of a lot. I could do it. You, You could, yeah. Well, get ready, because Connor's Hippin' and Hoppin' Tour coming to 150 to 500 cities near you. We gotta come up with the album first. Well, it'll it'll get there. We'll get there in a Buick 6. (laughs) You could. Let's talk about From a Buick 6. This song... Maybe sounded a little familiar to you. First of all, Dylan was heavily inspired on From a Buick 6 by classic blues with all these moments and instrumental parts that he kind of drew inspiration from artists like Big Joe Williams, Charlie Patton, and more. This song is mostly in 12-bar blues style, except a sneaky little tiny, teeny change in most of the verses, except for the first verse. Is it only 11? No, they, they change up the 10th bar. It it switches on the 10th of 12 bars. Otherwise, this is a standard 12 bar blues track, which is super interesting. Another one I didn't really know and honestly probably my least favorite. Really? Yeah. Okay, I I can understand. 12 bar blues, I don't mean to say if you've heard one, you've heard them all, but really, if you've heard one, you can, you know, predict them all. What's interesting, actually, about this one, too, is it borrows some lyrics from a 1930s song called Milk Cow Blues. Also, that lyric, if I go down dying, you know she's bound to put a blanket on my bed. How nice of her. How considerate. That is very nice. Yeah. Very considerate. Another massive track from this record is track five, Ballad of a Thin Man. Yes. This one was particularly a big inspiration to other artists, namely John Lennon. Mr. Jones. Yeah, John Lennon gives a nod to the titular thin man, Mr. Jones, on the White Album song, "Year Blues. Nobody actually knows for sure who Mr. Jones is or what this song is trying to get at at all. Everything Dylan has said about the man is that, okay, I've got bullet points. One, he works in a bowling alley as a pin boy. He wears suspenders and, quote, puts his eyes in his pocket. He says Mr. Jones does have a first name, but he can't say it, or else he might get sued. And as for the meaning of the song at large, Bob Dylan has introduced it before playing it live as a song about people asking me questions. That's all we know about Mr. Jones and the Ballad of the Thin Man.
1: I like it. There's no real chorus. There's just that little refrain with the Mr. Jones part. Something is happening. Verse after verse.
0: You don't know what it is. Yeah, I know. It's... Very nice. I think this is a great song and one of the standouts in the album.
1: And it's got, again, it's another song that has a very familiar style to it. Like the instrumentals that mm-hmm. at the especially at the beginning where he's like, it's almost doing that but like on a slightly different note structure with the same kind of rhythm. Mm.
0: Yeah. It's definitely taken from other things. Musically, a lot of his inspiration for this song came from Ray Charles in his song I Believe to yeah. My Soul. And I just love that line. Something's happening but you don't know what it is. Like we're not blind to the situation but we don't understand it yeah I think this song plays really well with that disconnect between knowing and understanding and like seeing versus a deeper understanding or an actual like productive interpretation of exactly what we're seeing I love it. And and you're right. It's an interesting phenomenon with this album that the longer songs feel like the shortest. You know, this is another six minute song that I flies know. by. This one flies by. Whereas It Takes a Lot to Laugh and From a Buick Six are two of the shortest songs on this album. And they're a little bit of a struggle. <laughs> kind of backwards.
1: Yeah, I know. The
0: next song, though, is one that is long and often feels long to me. Really? Yeah. Queen Jane, approximately, is uh, the next track on the album. And It sometimes drags a smidge.
1: My problem is it's the only one where he gets repetitive. He says, won't you come see me, Queen Jane? So much. A lot. But I really like kind of the verses. Like his vocal rhythms and the instrumentals going on with those verses are good. Mm -hmm. And then he does these little like three line triplets things. And then he hits you with the, won't you come see me, Queen Jane, twice. And it's like, give me more
0: of those verses and cut out some of those Queen Janes. Yeah, this song first came about as a B-side to One of Us Must Know. And it's another one that does indeed remain frustratingly cryptic. It's a Dylan thing. He's very good at that. (laughs) Queen Jane might be a real person directly. Might be a real Jane. She might be fictitious. It might be a pseudonym for a real person. We just don't know. But the general messaging of the song is basically when you're bored of life and everyone's sick of you, come see me and we'll mix it up, you know? I actually like a lot of the lyrics in this song. That second verse with the flower ladies wanting back what they've lent you and the smell of the roses doesn't remain. I like that verse so much. Like they're, the people are just over it, right? Their patience with you's wearing thin and they're backing their way out of your life. And the third verse, I guess all my favorite lyrics are about clowns on this album. I don't know. But when the clowns die in battle or in vain, yeah. that's great. Yep. And honestly, I know I said it feels long, but This song is basically, it snuck its way into being one of my favorites from this record. I didn't think it would be at first. Nice. For a long time when I listened to it, it just kind of wasn't. And then at some point it was like a switch flipped, you know? There was a singular time I listened to it and went, whoa, what have I been doing? You know, this is a great song. So anyway, that's Queen Jane approximately. And now it's time to revisit for the first time Highway 61 Revisited.
1: Right off the bat, it has, I think, my favorite verse on the album.
0: Really? Is that verse one? The right off the bat verse? Yeah, there's just
1: something about verse one that was awesome. It's both ridiculous and awesome. Yeah. There's just something ridiculous about this back and forth that he does, you know, because like... Bob Dylan famously, like, would talk about religion and stuff with, like, homeless people. I know. I read I
0: read that in the mixtapers notes. Uh-huh. Yeah. He's no stranger to the, uh, a biblical metaphor in the song here and there. Yeah.
1: And so here he just tells, like, a pseudo version of the story of Abraham. hmm And just the way he goes about it, he's like, oh, God said to Abraham, kill me a son. Abe said, man, you must be putting me on. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, what? So ridiculous. And he doubles down on it and goes, God said no. Abe said what? Yeah. (laughs) What? It's such a ridiculous song. And then the way he's saying then he really gets the mouthful in the next one yes. where he just rambles. He just goes, God said you can do what you want to, but next time he just keeps going. And <laughs> the music's like waiting on him to finish.
0: It's great. I think it's a, a really interesting retelling. And we've already talked about how highway 61 is, is the road that connects Dylan to these musical heritage sites. So that's the twist is instead of being killed up on a mountain, like the biblical story of Abraham, Bob has to go get killed on highway 61. Notably, dylan's own father is named abraham so i think in some sense this could kind of be talking about his own metaphorical sacrifice as he travels out on highway 61 you know what i mean i think there's a degree of personal story in here and i mean we go through this entire song as people get run out of their homes and their lives and have to go find their way on highway 61 the second verse is georgia sam who's in poverty getting beat up and Howard, with a gun, runs him out of town. So I think throughout the song, this highway kind of takes on this role of being a simultaneous road for hopeless people, but it's also a road to some kind of unknown better thing. Like, yeah we don't have a lot going on where we're currently at, but there's got to be something at the other end of Highway 61. And I really like that. Also, how do we feel about that slinging kazoo type sound? At the beginning? Yeah, and throughout. I
1: wasn't sure if that was like a, it sounded, um, like what, I guess, yeah, kazoo, kazoo's the right word for it, right? One of those, like, you put the kazoo in, yeah, and you just blow it and it goes, well. like a party favor you get at every, like, middle schoolers party
0: yeah well that's uh i did a little research on that specifically because i was curious about that sound and i wasn't the first one to be curious about that sound that instrument Is called a siren whistle. Oh. Yeah, it's supposed to emulate, I guess, a siren, which makes sense in the song about people getting run out of town and threatened with guns. But actually, beyond its use here as a musical instrument, Al Cooper, one of the musicians, he brought it to recording sessions to keep the band on track when every time someone would get distracted or, you know, naturally start using drugs during the session, he would just go blow that whistle at him. (laughs) 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 yeah to keep them focused and apparently it worked we got a an album in very quick time by the way this album didn't take long to record the penultimate track on highway 61 revisited is just like tom thumb's blues this one you know there's no chorus it's not exactly atypical for a dylan track I, i don't know just like tom thumb's blues is in the lower tier of this album for me
1: um probably as well But like upper-lower.
0: Oh, yeah. It's upper-lower tier. Yes. If that makes any sense. And it does. The
1: beginning reminds me of another song. And I'm trying to think of it. It just came... What is it? What is the song? It's on the tip of my tongue. Ooh. Will he remember? It's the,
0: uh... You're talking about Sweet Home Alabama? If you're not talking about Sweet Home Alabama, you're probably talking about Kid Rock's All Summer Long, which is just Sweet Home Alabama with a different set of lyrics. No, I'm not even thinking about that, but yes, that's
1: what it was. So the beginning of that is a seems like slightly lower pitch and slightly slower version of the intro to Werewolves of London.
0: Uh, Yeah. The other song that sounds just like Sweet Home Alabama and and all summer long. Yes.
1: Bum, 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 (laughs) Ah, werewolves of London. Anyway. it does yeah sweet home alabama's kind of got in there but the sweet home alabama song's got enough other stuff going on to mask it a little bit it's more background whereas in werewolves London, that's like the only
0: thing happening it's just that bum 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 yeah it's true just like tom thumbs blues was not an instant success they spent 16 takes just recording and re-recording this song trying to get it just right eventually they managed to do it but 16 takes is a pretty long time. I really don't have much to say about Tom Thumb's blues. No, yeah, I think we're good to move on to
1: the juggernaut in terms of length.
0: Yeah, I was going to say, you can't call any song on this album the juggernaut if it's not like a Rolling Stone. But in terms of length... Like a Rolling Stone
1: is the juggernaut
0: in terms of like... Everything else. Yeah.
1: Yeah, but in terms of length, Desolation Road clocks in at 11 minutes and 21
0: seconds. Yeah, and this is the album's lone acoustic track. A bit of a return to form for Dylan, but not really, right? It's uh, (laughs) it's a return to form sonically, but there's a lot of ways that this one still breaks the boundaries he's kind of set yeah God, and i just love it uh, this is one of the best
1: the little bit of that going on with like the acoustic guitar Mm-hmm.
0: this song has been described as a cowboy song much like you thought about tombstone blues desolation row also has those same kind of western vibes
1: yeah but this is like sitting around a campfire cowboy absolutely not galloping
0: <laughs> yeah, no, you're right. This is a Campfire Cowboys song. Parts of this song actually were likely inspired by a lynching that happened in Minnesota. Oh, wow. Yeah, I think it's interesting that Dylan can take such a like a profound tragedy and weave it into this desolate song so morbidly, right? Everyone's selling postcards of the hanging. What an image right off the bat. Like, I mean, if that doesn't give you the exact image that he's trying to give you, I don't know, it's just so irreverent. Like, you can imagine the the mindset of the people that are doing that. Also, Dylan name drops and puts everyone in this song. (laughs) Everyone, everywhere. From Einstein to Cain and Abel to T.S. Eliot to Romeo and Shakespeare to Nero... Just a lot of them. All of them. This is tough. This is one of my favorite songs on the album. Yeah. And it's weird to me how low it has to place on the nine track tier list because so many other songs are still so much better. Doesn't have to place that low. Uh, It's at least number four or five for me. Interesting. Yeah, I think so. Anyway. This has another one of my favorite verses.
1: Yeah? What's that? I really like verse five. Einstein dressed as Robin Hood with his memories in a trunk. Mm -hmm. That, that, That little run of verse. That's a great one. Yes, absolutely. Then he went off sniffing
0: drain pipes and reciting the alphabet. There's just, just there's so much going on there. It's it's interesting because he kind of does the same thing we've talked about with bands like I don't know Inner Wave or something, where he throws images at you that put you in the right headspace, even if they don't make any literal sense, or even if you know it's not clear exactly what actual thing he's trying to write or sing about we still kind of get the idea or at least can understand the emotion behind it because of the way that he phrases things that's his biggest strength i think yeah and it's actually a nice, quiet, acoustic way to end the album. I think it's reflective after this, you know, wild ride that's been up and down and electric.
1: And of course, I love some good mythology references. You know, you got First Nine with Praise Be to Nero's Neptune, the Titanic sails at dawn. Mm-hmm. Like, that's a fun little mixing of history. Yeah, it you know, is. Nero was a Roman emperor, Neptune was the Roman version of Poseidon, and then the Titanic being. The famous, you know, ship that capsized.
0: Well, I mean, less capsized, more snapped in half. But yeah.
1: Ah, well, yeah. It was a very clever mixing of things.
0: Absolutely it is. And that brings us into Final Spin Revisited. Let's talk about it. We just did. We just did. Now we're going to re-talk about it. Yeah, in true Dylanologist fashion. I will be honest right off the bat low key kind of hate half my scores for this one. I think it's for me mostly uh the lyric and the vibe scores are a little off. But let's dig into it. As far as music goes, this album Dylan's not known necessarily for his vocal prowess. You know, he's not a singer first. He's not the world's greatest singer. No, he's not. <laughs> That's no secret and if you've listened to any of this album, you probably have been like, "Oh, you know, And uh, the music, I can really appreciate a lot of what the music does, barring from old folk songs, traditional style songs, and other things that are like influences for Dylan. I can appreciate that. I don't know if it's exactly the best musically. I think it has moments that are completely catchy, completely, you know, like a Rolling Stone is a masterpiece of a song, top to bottom, and everyone can sing along with Mama's in the Kitchen, Tombstone Blues. You know, we can get these moments of... Get on down to Highway 61. Mr. Jones. Mr. Jones. Yeah, we get moments of musical breakthroughs that are very good. And then some of the music just fades away, and you'll never, ever be able to sing just like Tom Thumb's blues unless you're a big Dylan fan. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, it's just kind of gone. I do think the music is, like, good but not great. I'm giving it an 85. Lyrically, I don't know. This is this is an interesting score, and how I tried to balance it in my head is that, yeah, there are a lot of good images and stuff, but also... Some of these songs, we just don't know what he's saying. Like, we know what he's feeling, but we don't know what he's saying. You know what I mean? Uh, There's a lot of obscure references to things and stuff you got to dig through. Maybe, you know, a lot of these songs are probably very personal to Dylan specifically. and We just don't know. Some of these songs were 20 pages of lyrics written by ghosts. It's just an interesting blend. Like, he's got such good images. But I think the good images need to be paired maybe in a way that's a little more... I don't know. I would just kind of like it if they pointed us in a direction or told a more united story instead of just presented us with a united emotion. You know what I mean? Lyrics I'm giving an 86, but I'm, again, not very thrilled about that score. That's not
1: even very low. The way you were talking, I thought it was going to be lower. No. No. (laughs)
0: no it's not that low well
1: you were like i hate my store scores i thought you were about to give it some like 70s
0: well i don't know it just feels wrong this is such a renowned album such an important and influential album and it's one where i like it again a lot more than my score kind of reflects i think uh for instruments and production wow i I mean i love that dylan went electric what a what a moment what a historically significant album this is the harmonica is really cool the siren whistle is really cool I think sometimes things sound a little rough you know sometimes things come across a little out of tune or off key and i can't tell how much of that's the singing and how much of that's a production or an instruments thing I'm giving it a 78 on instruments and production, which I don't think is unfair if you listen to this album front to back for 52 minutes of your life. Uh, I feel like you'd walk away going, yeah, that's about a 78 for instruments too. I don't know. And last but not least, the vibe. This is this is another score that I, again, think may be a little low. It's such an important album. That alone should earn it a lot of kudos and a lot of points. And I think It's just, it sucks you in and it keeps you there, you know? But it does do that weird thing where the the short songs just feel like they take forever to get through. Not necessarily because of quality, but sometimes this album does feel like it has a moment or two that drags. So I'm giving it an 84 for the vibe. Overall, that makes my score an 85.4 and puts it at number 228 on the list, which just feels kind of wrong. Ooh, that's kind of low. That's what I'm saying. It doesn't sit well with me.
1: But if that's where it falls, that's where it falls. That's I mean... the
0: game, I, I guess. We'll have to, maybe we'll revisit. We'll do a Highway 61 Revisited Revisited episode. Re-Revisited. Yeah, I'm all for it. Maybe, someday. We'll see. How about you? And uh, just as a reminder, you do only get two top threes. Took a lot from our coheat episode. Okay, yeah. You still get to take a third of the album. Yeah, but could have had four ninths. Too bad. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, like I said, I knew four of these
1: songs going in ish. Yeah. I liked them. I liked the album. There was someone here I didn't know that I liked. But like you said, he's not really much of a singer, and a big chunk of my score comes down to my listenability.
0: That's a tough score for Dylan.
1: Yeah, that's not what I'm going to be grabbing off the shelf very readily. I
0: would, but that's just me. Yeah,
1: that is just you.
0: My top three in album order
1: Like a Rolling Stone, obviously.
0: Yeah, easy pick.
1: Ballad of a Thin Man, mm-hmm. and Desolation Road. Run- Oh.
0: Okay, and were all of those ones you knew going into this, or, or were some of them new?
1: I'd never heard Desolation Row.
0: Okay. Somehow. Because it's 11 minutes and 21 seconds long. That's probably the how. Solid. That's a solid top three. Uh, that may be very close to my own top three, except... We
1: won't know what my honorable mention is, but I have a feeling you would have liked it.
0: Yeah, it's hard to deal with Queen Jane approximately in Highway 61. I don't know. Those factor in heavy, too. What's your playlist pick? I think I am have to go with Ballad of a Thin Man.
1: Okay. All right. It's either be that or Desolation Row would be my two, I think.
0: I see. Well, Ballad of a Thin Man seems to fit the playlist better. And, of course, if you're going to do that, I have to. I I feel like my hands are tied. I have to take, like, a Rolling Stone. I don't have to. Despite the rest of this album being, like, also masterpiece-level folk music, Like a Rolling Stone still, even still, stands as a giant, head and shoulders above the rest. I feel like it'd be criminal to do a Dylan episode on this album and not include like a rolling stone on our favorite songs playlist so that'll be our two that's our two then
1: in terms of my score
0: the big question of the
1: night this one is gonna get seven dinky dillons out of ten.
0: Seven. okay that's an interesting score i don't think it's out of line for you but that feels i feel some kind of way about that yeah yeah, I do. What kind of way do you feel? I don't know. Just the kind of way that you would feel if Bob Dylan's Highway 61 Revisited scored less than That's Christmas to Me by Pentatonics.
1: Big chunk of its re It's gonna sit, actually... Right above
0: Hank Williams' Greatest Hits. Oh, holy crap. Hold on, hold on. No, I've got new issues to take with that. What that means is this is going below Machine Gun Kelly, Tickets to My Downfall.
1: Yeah, there is more songs on that one I think that wow. I'd listen to soon. Like, if you gave me a list of all those songs, I think I would hit some of those before I'd hit the majority now. There might be one or two off of this that I'd hit before I hit the Machine Gun Kelly ones, but I think I'd make it through the majority of Machine Gun Kelly's before before this.
0: I'm, I'm this is I'm officially hereby revoking your status as a Dylanologist and all the rights and privileges to which you would otherwise be entitled. No, no,
1: I liked it. I like them. I like them It's just this album specifically. And actually, I was telling my coworkers this when I told them we were getting ready to do it. This album. That this is not the album I would have chosen, I think.
0: Well, again, it's also not even my favorite Dylan album. I'm a big fan of Freewheeling. Yeah. what's your what, what Dylan album would you have picked? Out of curiosity, where would you go?
1: I don't know because most of my favorites are spread out across different albums, unfortunately. Yeah. And I haven't listened to the rest of the albums,
0: but... Well, I, I don't know. I just wanted to pick this one for, well, here's a couple reasons. Yeah. This is probably the smartest one to do for the podcast, being how significant it was. Absolutely. And, and I don't know if the audience uh, has picked up on it yet. I meant to mention it at the top of the episode. This is episode 61, and this album is Highway 61. Uh... Yeah, that is no small reason that I picked it to, to do right now.
1: <laughs> so you're a little biased in why you chose this
0: one. Just a little bit, but not really. It's also just a good album. Fair enough. Anyway, well, that's going to do it for this episode of Spin It. Tune in next week where, as always, we'll be bringing you another album by another artist that may be very similar or very different to this one. Who knows? Who's to say? Who
1: knows? Who's to say? Well, I know. If you didn't know, we stream on Twitch now from time to time. It's true. And we've done two live streams so far, both which the VODs of are available on our YouTube channel. You can go check them out. Yes. They're pretty cool. One of them is a lot of like behind-the-scenes creation of the podcast stuff. And the other one was our bracket challenge, which was last week's
0: episode. Mm-hmm.
1: But this is the full uncondensed with all the crazy visual bits that we did
0: yeah we did a lot of visual bits it was probably too much work but hey we love it genuinely had so much fun <laughs> if you're looking for more spin it content outside of those places you can follow us on twitter at spin pod follow us on instagram at spin official or visit our website www.spinitpod.com for all the record ranking podcast related content your record ranking heart craves so uh, with that in mind have a great week. And, as always, you know what to do. Tell him. Keep spinning. Keep spinning.
1: Is it sad that I want some cherry quarter milk right now?
0: Yes, that's bad. That's not <laughs> That's not the way your brain should be working.
1: Oh, well, I didn't have any. You know, the mixtape bring Oh. He didn't share.
0: He didn't give you any?
1: But in a much more real sense, I also... He also wants more.
0: Oh, okay. It, would, it sounds like you should just go get more. I kind of should try it now, shouldn't I? Should I go get some? We could cotton candy grape it, I could try it.
1: Sounds like a yes.